what Astros news is there to talk about in January, you may ask? Well, a lot, apparently. Astros are interviewing GM candidates. Arbitration hits a couple of snags. And we get to uh, get some fake excitement on for some international players who we've probably never heard of. It is episode six of Stone Cold Strohs. What is up, everybody? Welcome into Stone Cold Strohs. I am SportsMap Houston Sports Director Brandon Strange. I am joined, as I am every week, by SportsMap.com editor Josh Jordan, who you can follow him on Twitter at JoshJordan975, and SportsMap senior contributor Charlie Palillo. Follow him at Palillo. Guys, welcome in. Welcome to you. 40 days to the spring training opener. Who's counting? Well, obviously, I am. <laughs> Indeed. Absolutely. Well, let's get right into it because we have, like I said, we have a surprising amount of news to talk about. A lot happened over the weekend. Uh, we'll get into the arbitration talk first. Um, as reported uh, over the weekend, the Astros uh, avoid arbitration with Framber Valdez, Ryan Stanek, Jose Arquiti, Phil Maton, Mauricio Dubon, and Blake Taylor. But at this point, it appears they are headed to arbitration with Christian Javier and Kyle Tucker. They are only off by half a million on Javier. Uh, I say that half a million, like because it's someone else's money, and 2.5 million for Tuck. And we've all waited to see news of Tucker being signed to a long term deal, uh, but there's been no movement on that. They are not close on the first arbitration number. Guys, does this make you less optimistic that Tucker and the Astros will be able to reach an eventual long term extension? I would say less optimistic, but still not concerned, right? We always need to put in, hey, he's three years away from potential free agency, so there's a, a very long runway. Uh, you'd like that smoothest runway as possible and no hard feelings to develop or anything like that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't sweat those details as an Astros fan at this point. A uh, 50% difference in evaluation. The Astros offering the $5 million. Team Tucker seeking $7.5 million. And just quickly, for those not familiar with the salary arbitration process, look, if you're watching or listening to this, you probably are. But for those who might not be, if you go to the hearing, it's either or. right? It's a three-person panel. The Astros go in and, well, trash Kyle Tucker. Here's why he shouldn't <laughs> get the money he wants, $5 million. And then Tucker presents his case for here's why he should get the seven five. And then the arbitration panel decides one or the other. They can't say, hey, split the difference, six and a quarter, nice simple number in between. It's either or if you go through the hearing. And the hearing, by its nature, is an animosity-driven process. You're talking down your own player to try to hold down his salary. But I don't think that should have some lingering grudge. He'd still be another two years away from free agency after this one. Five versus seven and a half. Okay, that's a, a wide gulf. It's also ample room for negotiation. You know, the midpoint is 6.25. Uh, the Astros' track record in winning these cases actually hasn't been that great in recent years, but it's a relatively small number of cases that have gone through the hearing. When they have settled, and the Astros' general position has been, well, if we don't settle before we exchange numbers, we'll go through the hearing. Doesn't have to be that way. Uh, you meet the guy at a little more than and halfway. So if they offered Tucker 6.75, would he take that? Uh, if not, I would say that's an indication of not rancor, 
But, uh, hey, you signed Jordan, six years, $19.5 million per year. Michael Brantley, who's vastly less important to this team. Of course, a different phase of his career, but coming off season-ending injury, he's getting $12 million, and you're only offering me five. No, I'll go to the wall, make my case for seven, five. And remember, once you get one year in arbitration, that becomes the foundation if you're back in the same scenario a year from now. Yeah, my only observation is that you know we heard reports that tucker and the astros were trying to negotiate a deal before the season started you know talks fell off hadn't re- really re-engaged from what i've heard so i'm not all that surprised that maybe tucker values values himself a little more than the astros are willing to put out there it just kind of something that goes along with that narrative that we thought to be the case and I believe if, if they're going to get Tucker done, they are going to have to pay him more than Jordan. I don't think there's any way around it. So I think this is just kind of a, a sign of things to come. Like Charlie said, nothing to panic about. But this does make sense. In a lawsuit, right, oftentimes the, the sewer will throw a number way out there to give room to uh, haggle down, negotiate down from that point. Um, but, you know, the jury can't say, OK, here's A, here's B, and here's, we'll, we'll split the difference. Uh, It is that either or scenario if you go through the hearing. And let me just throw this in. Uh, Kyle Tucker, barely over the minimum last season, terrific season, $764,000, give or take. Look, that's a top one percenter uh, as an American in terms of income. But in baseball, that's barely over the minimum. So the Astros paid Tuck about $765. His World Series share was over a half million. Kyle Tucker also, with the new bonus plan that each team kicks in about $1.7 million, and the top 100 pre-arbitration eligible players are awarded uh, performance bonuses. Uh, Jordan Alvarez made an extra $2 million plus that way. Kyle Tucker made an extra million plus. So his Astros salary was under $770,000 but he made an additional more than a million and a half through his performance bonus, which is the other teams all chipping in to pay Kyle Tucker that bonus, 130th per team, uh, and then the World Series share. Uh, I also would include that Kyle Tucker is the fifth pick in the draft when he came out, got a $4 million signing bonus. So as usual, no pity party necessary if he loses. You know, It's not as if the Astros are keeping him down, trying to pay him a, an insulting wage at $5 million. It's the process. But I contrast that to Christian Javier, only $500,000, as you put it, only $500,000 brand. We're talking baseball money. Yep. Uh, $3 million, three, five. Found the Astros, you know, I offer him three, three, five, and let's call it a day. Christian Javier, like Framber Valdez, their original signing bonuses with the Astros, 10 grand, $10,000 relative to Kyle Tucker's $4 million. So Christian Javier, who also made a little over the minimum last year, well, his career earnings to that point were minimal. So that World Series bonus, huge. And the $500,000 would make more difference, I think, to Christian Javier for this year than, than the better part of $2.5 million to Kyle Tucker. But this is just um, the way collective bargaining works and, and salary arbitration overall has been tremendous for the players through the years. It just leads to a, a little angst in individual cases from time to time. Yeah, and I'd, I'd say a couple of things. One is uh, just because... Uh, it looks like they're headed that way now. doesn't necessarily mean that they will go to the hearing because we've seen some last minute uh, deals that have been made. I think Springer comes to mind in his last year. I think they appeared to be headed towards arbitration. I think ended up avoiding that. 
but that is literally off the top of my head. I could be wrong on that. Well, and they did a two-year deal with George Springer. They gave him two years, 24 million, giving him uh, an extra 12 million of security, buying out the last year of salary arbitration. So there would be one form of middle ground with Kyle Tucker, who's still three years away from free agency. Okay, we're offering you five this year. Well, next year we bump that to 12. Then you're offering him two years, 17 million, where he'd still be another year from free agency. I'm sure Team Tucker's saying, no, two years, we want at least 20 million. And you can either haggle a deal or or not. And you can can settle uh, until the very last moment, until the arbitration panel hands it down. And just like in a civil suit, until the jury announces the 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 verdict, the the amount, um, you can plead it out as you will. Though that generally has not been the Astros case once you get into the hearing. And and before we get into the Jim Crane's cheap narrative, this is not a Jim Crane thing. Look at the other notable players that are out there uh, that are you know going to go to appear to be headed towards our arbitration to Oscar Hernandez, Bo Bichette, Gleyber Torres, Gio Urshela, Max Fried, Yandy Diaz, and noted Jordan Alvarez victim, uh, Jose Alvarado. I would just remind Astros fans that in 2019, when Carlos Correa and the team were off by $750,000, Correa won his hearing, and the first thing he tweeted afterwards was complimenting the Astros on their professionalism through the process. Uh, they, in fact, they agreed in the next two arbitration uh, cycles on the amount that did not prevent him from going and seeking a bigger bag once uh, he was a free, unrestricted free agent. So, agreeing, not agreeing on the number doesn't necessarily dictate whether the uh, player is going to stay or not. I don't know if you can use that as a barometer. I will say, for perspective, just in a vacuum, uh, when you talked about how five hundred thousand would make more of a difference to Christian Javier than Kyle Tucker, 500,000 would make more difference to me than both of those guys. So when you hear these numbers getting thrown around, uh, it's just so funny. All of us, I think, would be happy living on the differences between what these guys are asking for and what the teams are willing to pay them. I will take it either way. And and it's, it's just the system and year by year, right? Kyle Tucker won't be compared. If they go into the hearing, Kyle Tucker... He's wasting his time if he says, well, Jordan Alvarez just signed for 19 and a half million per year. Yeah, he's a better hitter than me, but I'm a gold glove outfielder and I'm the best base dealer on the Astros and I'm the better all around player. Doesn't matter. Kyle Tucker will be compared to first year eligible outfielders in salary arbitration, both past and present. In the end, he's going to come out all right. Just one other Astro arbitration item, you know, year by year service time matters the Astros offered Christian Javier three million. They settled with Phil Maton for just over two and a half. Right? Phil Maton is essentially an appendix in the Astros bullpen at this point. Um, Christian Javier, right? The preseason dart at the board of some to win a Cy Young award, or certainly counted on as a mainstay stud in the Astros rotation. Well, it's Javier's first time here. Maton's last time here. He's eligible for free agency. So which rung you are on the ladder in terms of service time just impacts all this stuff. And, and the car shield commercials for Kyle Tucker. Don't forget those. Maybe he can get Christian Javier doing those with him, and they they both make out great. How about that? I think he's overpaid in those, whatever the rate is, to be honest. <laughs> this brings us to our next big headline from over the weekend. 
the Astros had uh, some international signings. Well, I, I, actually, a lot of teams had international signings over the weekend. Astros signed nine international players, including two of the top fifty, two of the top fifty ranked international players. Those were number seventeen shortstop uh, Camilo Diaz and number twenty-one outfielder Esmil Valencio, and. We know how much the international pipeline has meant to this organization. Everyone but Lance McCullers is an international signing in their starting rotation. And there's another international player by the name of Jordan Alvarez on the team who's also pretty good at baseball. How much does the Astros' recent success with a bevy of international players as their core, how much does that play into their ability, do you guys think, to go out there and recruit and replen that depleted farm system. Well, their international money allotment is lower than just about everyone else because the Astros have been better than basically everyone else. And ultimately winning the world series, they were better than everyone else. So it's a, it's a stair step process. The worse you are, the more money that you are allocated. Uh, but the, the Astros brand matters. Uh, among the nine players, they signed eight Dominicans, just one Venezuelan, as uh, Venezuela's political unrest has, has thrown a wrench into the development works and scouting efforts of, of all the teams over there. Uh, but the Dominican Republic, of course, has just been a treasure trove of products, of uh, prospects for decades now. Uh, now, the owners, of course, wanted to go with the international draft. The players didn't want it. They couldn't agree to terms. So we stay with the, the current system for at least the foreseeable future. Uh, Cubans who are defectors, that's a, that's a different deal. Um, but, uh, if you're not heavily invested in the, the Latin market, the international market, well, you're stupid. And for years, the Orioles basically stayed out of it. And for years, the Orioles were a joke. Now under Michael Elias, they're really aggressively trying to get their ties to bind and make them appealing to prospects. Money, of course, always talks, but I mentioned Cuba, right? The Astros brand, Yuli Gurriel is a, a legend of the sport. His dad is a legend of the sport in Cuba. Uh, certainly Jordan Alvarez's success here. Uh, but but all the teams are just swarming on these guys and you have these shady agents, right? You sign guys, you can sign guys when they're 16 years old, but none of the Astros signees are among the super elite prospects considered in this year's class, but we're talking 16 and 17 year olds. So talk about projections. So I think you cast a wide net. You just go with the toolsiest guys that you could find and, and hope that your player development system, along with just a little bit of luck, and a little bit that your your bird dogs really spotted one. Um, you know, the Astros get two good major leaguers out of these nine kids. Well, that's great. Uh, but you cover the, the starting rotation outside McCullers. Major League Baseball is over 20% uh, uh, Latin. So if you're not mining gold, even though it takes years in most cases to, to develop it, or have the coal turn to diamonds, maybe a, a better analogy on it, uh, you're just way, way, way behind the times. Yeah, I think the the amount is interesting of the signings, especially Diaz getting two point two five million. That's a lot more than the ten G's we were talking about a little earlier. So they must see something in this guy that that they're really excited about. And yeah, I I think this does help the Astros. If you're an international player and you see them win the World Series with all these Latin stars, I mean Yuli is just a legend in, in Cuba. This is only good for the Astros that. Why wouldn't you want to come here? You win, you get paid well. It's actually pretty close being in Texas, not that far away from home. So makes a lot of sense to me. Now I think I think your I think Charlie's point about it being the brand, that was something that was really repeated 
during the commentary, uh, although English commentary take, I guess, take that for granted, but, uh, but the, during the commentary during the games was just how much of the international players made up such a core part of what the Astros and just last year in general, there was a lot of breaking down what makes the Astros so good. Why are they always there? And one of those things that people continue to point to is their ability to identify talent uh, on the, you know, in the international recruitment and bring those in. I mean, and obviously none, none bigger than being able to identify a, a 16 or a 17 year old Venezuelan by the name of Jose Altuve. And since then it's just, you know, just been a, a bevy of, of guys who have been called up, tapped, and have made differences on this team. And considering the fact that the Astros have had to pay such steep prices to make blockbuster trades and empty out their farm system, it is incredibly important to be able to go over and identify talent. We always talk about what a big difference maker it was to have a guy like Jeff Luno be able to speak to some of these international signees in their native tongue, be able to talk to them in Spanish to convince them over, not go through a translator. You're getting the information right from the horse's mouth. And so that's why it's so big that whoever they are eyeing for their next GM, you would hope that they have ties to the international community. We see that they are interviewing uh, or actually have interviewed some of these people already. Michael Schwab here was tweeting about some of the GM candidates that Ken Rosenthal has named in his uh, story on The Athletic. Uh, Michael Hill, former Marlins president. Dana Brown, who I think is the more interesting of the three, uh, the Braves VP of scouting, and then uh, Bobby Evans, who is the former Giants uh, GM. But looking at these guys, again, I, I think the Dana Brown, very that's a very inter- interesting uh, prospect for a GM or candidate for a GM. There's a difference between scouting talent and being able to run an entire organization. But out of these three, who excites you out of out of this candidate pool? Oh, it's it's clearly Brown. I mean, excitement's not the right word, but if we were just uh, you had to pick one of these three, there'd be no decision to be made for me. It would be would be Dana Brown. The Braves are a ship shaped organization. Their farm system has churned out a phenomenal. Uh, amount of talent over the last five, six years, and it's why they've won the National League East every year uh, for the last five, six years. No sign of going away. All those young players that they've locked up to long contracts that look like real good deals or at least uh, plays going forward for the Braves. Um, Dana Brown helped select uh, a number of those guys, most recently of most consequence, Michael Harris, the National League Rookie of the Year. Uh, Young guy, 39 years old, I believe. Um, so if an, an up and comer, um, and, and he's a nuts and bolts baseball guy, whereas Michael Hill ran operations. I don't think he was thought of as, uh, you know, a, a personnel ace, um, and the Marlins, it's such a bad market, their budget constraints, questionable ownership through the years. They have developed a lot of pitching over there though. And the third guy, you know, you never know who you might be doing a favor for. Um, Ken Rosenthal is an excellent reporter. He's not above being used by agents or those leaking information to, hey, get my guy a hearing or get his name in the mix a little bit. Scratch my back, I'll scratch yours the next time I have some info for you. Um, Bobby Evans, I don't know if there's some link, six degrees of separation to Jim Crane somewhere. <laughs> the, the Giants had, I'd say, one of the odder dynasties we've seen, uh, the front of the last decade. Won the World Series in 2010, 2012, 2014. 
He won it all three times in five years. That qualifies as a dynasty, though they missed the playoffs entirely in 2011 and 2013. But 2015, Bobby Evans became the general manager. I'm not dumping this all in his lap. Nevertheless, just in terms of the chronology, Bobby Evans took charge. The Giants stopped making the playoffs at all, much less winning World Series. Four years later, he was fired after 2018. So I don't see why he – and three years later, the Giants built back up 107 games. Uh, So I'm not sure what the angle is on Evans unless he's just thought of as a great people person, administrator, or there's some other hook of note uh, for for Jim Crane. Uh, But if I want uh, a young guy from a ship-shape organization, sustainably so, Dana Brown leaps off the page among those three. Yeah, Brown's the one that interests me the most. Is as far as Bobby Evans, I think the tie might might be that I believe it was reported that he interviewed for the job, the GM job, when Click was hired, and he didn't get it. So he's somebody that they're familiar with, that Crane's familiar with. So that makes some sense. Uh, I'm with Charlie. Dana Brown's the one that excites me. Not only Michael Harris, but Spencer Strider's a guy he pounded on the desk for. So this guy's got a good eye for talent. Astros, typically they're not picking super high, right? Because they're a great team. So getting somebody that can find some of these diamonds in the rough, some of these you know, second, third, fourth rounders, surely would benefit the Astros. That makes a lot of sense. We, you know, we talked about the international talent pool. The other thing, according to Baseball America, the Astros have seven four-year college products in their, 10, their uh, top 10 prospects, most of any organization in baseball. So it looks like the Astros have a lot of guys that could be ready for the big leagues sooner rather than later. You bring in, you know, somebody like this, Dana Brown, that can grab you some draft picks that maybe not everybody's on. I'd be excited about this hire. And at bare minimum, we know the Astros have no interest in Josh McCown. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if the Astros try to keep the front office afloat this season and don't make a big hire because you know, we, we look at who they're interviewing and, and obviously these are, these are qualified candidates, but perhaps they just don't pull the trigger on any of them because the rumors are true. But I, Bob Nightingale's been talking about this uh, for months now that it's not a well-kept secret that the Astros are interviewed in or in, interested, excuse me, in Brewers president, uh, David Stearns, and that maybe they'll just keep this piecemeal together for the front office until next year and then make a run at Stearns. You have to feel pretty confident though, right? That you have a chance of being able to land Stearns for you to put all your eggs in that basket though, right? And then the other the other thing to kind of keep in mind too is uh, as one of our uh, chatters uh, brought up, let me bring this in. New GM has to agree to be co-GM with Crane. There's some truth in that, in that we've seen with James Click, he kind of had to navigate a power struggle between Dusty Baker and with Jeff Bagwell. So there's a little bit of a weird power dynamic that's at work there too, right? Whether Jeff Bagwell and all this, right? <laughs> whose ear does he have or who gets his ear? Uh, right, One of Jim Crane's kids. Uh, I don't mean for the GM job, but you know, part of shoving out Reed Ryan a, a couple of years ago was to uh, get the family a little more integrated with the business uh, as Tillman Fertitta uh, does with the Rockets as yep. the Atlanta Hawks owner has his 27 year old GM apparently helping make moves. And, you know, rank has its privileges, that golden rule. You have the most gold, you get to make rules. Uh, but if you're crane, it's, it's Nicolanti stuff in the big picture, but if you're having a little fun kind of being your own GM to an extent, you have a couple of other people that you, you trust 
the heavy lifting's done till draft time and the, the trade deadline to jump back to those GM candidates. If, if I'm looking to hire someone to coordinate my draft board and scouting, uh, again, Brown over, over Hill and Evans there. Um, but for the near term, the Astros are in ship shape. I don't say this in self-deprecating fashion, mostly. He could hire any of us as general manager this year, and the Astros going to be great. Right. Unless they're waylaid by injuries or something else bizarre happens. So Jim Crane can take his sweet time, or you know what? He could say spring training opens in a month. Uh, here's our new GM. No, that's true. But to what you brought up, Brandon, there's probably something to that, that, you know, Crane has a reputation of being kind of hard to work for. We saw what happened with Click, you know, getting shown the door right after winning a World Series. Like Charlie mentioned, uh, Jeff Bagwell, Dusty Baker in the owner's ear. Sounds like the owner sided with them over the GM. So something that you would consider if you're looking for a job as GM. And, of course, all the Stearns reports. Is this something where after a year they're going to want to move on to him? So there are a few red flags if, if you're interviewing for this position. Yeah, and, and unless the train is in the tunnel on Stearns, tap the brakes a, a little bit on that. Uh, what if the Mets don't win it all this year? Billy Epler did a lame job as the GM of the Angels and somehow failed up an opportunity to get to work for Daddy Warbucks with the Mets. But let's say they're out in the first round again and uh, Steve Cohen wants a new general manager. Well, David Stearns grew up in Manhattan, a lifelong Mets fan. And if it's a bidding war for general manager, pretty sure Jim Crane wouldn't win that one uh, over Steve Cohen. So, yeah, I don't th- I'm not thinking fait accompli yet on David Stearns, but it's an easy breadcrumb trail to throw down leading to David Stearns if a year from now turns out the Astros have, have hired a temp. And, of course, when you have all the success that the Astros have had, you can make move. Oh, that's an analogy that I use. When, when, when you are rich and crazy, you're eccentric. When you're poor and crazy, you're crazy. You know, if you go with a one and done general manager as the Astros the year after winning the World Series, that would be eccentric. Whereas you look at the clown show operation the Texans are running, one and done head coaches two years in a row, you're crazy or crazy, stupid, no love, right? That's the movie. Yeah. Well, they, our commenter here says Crane would have to sign off any major moves anyway. And, that, and that's kind of the point of it. And Charlie, when you talk about whether the Astros winning a bidding war, I don't know anything that sounds less like Jim Crane than a bidding war. Jim Crane's never gotten in a big in a bidding war. He has built a behemoth so that he doesn't have to overpay, so that he doesn't have to panic buy uh, and and stock the shelves. The Mets are building what they're building because they're chasing. You know, they're they're spending that money because of of what the the Texas Rangers have not scouted well and have not built a solid. So they're chasing with a lot of money. Uh, th- that's what teams who don't have good foundations do is they spend a lot of money and they get into bidding wars. That's just not Jim Crane style. And you can't argue with the result. I mean, we have uh, somebody here, uh, Darwin says Crane wants a puppet. Well, I mean, the guy clearly knows what he's doing. How can you argue with the results? I mean, maybe he's not the be- the most pleasant guy to work with. Uh, that's, you know, that that's not, I don't know. It's that's a different that's a different critique than saying the guy can't run a successful team. And clearly, the results, the the sea change in the direction of the franchise when he took over, and the uh, the quick ramp up to success and the results since since then 
have, they dictate that this man knows how to run this organization and deserves the benefit of the doubt. Again, can he sustain it? You know, how far outside of Jeff Luno can we get before the wheels start falling off? We'll see, but so far so good. And um, that's going to you know, depend on a lot of things, which is health in the team, whether they continue to scout and health of other teams is what I want to get into next. Um, and Jack, let's hold title card 4A for dramatic effect here because I want to tease this. Um, we have some disappointing rival news, Astros rivals news that came out over the weekend. A couple stories. First one I didn't tell you guys about because I wanted to spring it on you in real time to get your more organic reaction here. Um, and it's because it's not really a story. But uh, in some disappointing, I said it was disappointing rival news. Uh, this weekend, an independent sports platform reported that the Seattle Mariners had signed 17-year-old first-base DH prospect from Puerto Garbanzo by the name of, wait for it, Marlboro Jesus. Now, I say it's disappointing, and it's disappointing because it turned out to be a joke. Uh, it didn't stop the news from going viral on Twitter. Uh, and for the record, there's also no place called Puerto Garbanzo. It's called Punto Garbanzo. But make sure when you say that, you properly enunciate the end very important um but in real real uh rival news and also disappointing um tough news for frankie montas he will miss the first month of the season with shoulder inflammation this is the same shoulder inflammation that was bugging him last season and caused him to miss miss time and obviously we wish him the best but that said we didn't have to wait long for that pitching staff that had questionable health guys that we've talked about on this show to hit their first bump. And we just had this discussion about how the Yankees media was overreacting to this rotation and already they have an issue. Now I can't wait for Brian Cashman to reach, reach peak desperation and have to pull the trigger on a guy like uh, Trevor Bauer just to see how the MLB media machine tries to uh, rationalize the decision. Um, I'm, I'm buying a ticket in a giant bubble a tub of popcorn just to, to watch the national or the New York talking heads, uh, you know, make asshats of themselves trying to rationalize this behavior before the eventual meltdown. Um, so guys, uh, is, is this just a sign of things to come for, a, a rotation that already had a bunch of question marks in it? Well, look, Carlos Rodon is a better pitcher than Frankie Montas. He's the one who signed for six years at, at mega money. So as long as his arm holds up, it nets out as a, as a positive for the Yankees with a Cole Rodon 1-2. That pushed Montas down. They, he has an arm history issue before what arose this past season. So they were probably hoping he'd be a stud four or five man in the rotation. But Severino brings his own questions. Domingo Herman has his own questions. So we did the compare and contrast with the Astros a couple of years ago. Yeah, the Yankees' rotational upside is about as good as the Astros. But there are a lot more capital I, capital Fs uh, attached collectively. What they have there is Nestor Cortez going to remain the phenomenon that he became in 2022 or was that his career year and he'll settle back down to being the guy who toiled in mostly obscurity until he was about uh, 28 years of age so i wouldn't kick dirt on the yankees rotation yet but uh they are doing some shoveling 
Yeah. I mean, if you just look at all these guys, Rodon's had some injury issues. Uh, Servino, like you talked about, uh, Herman, even Cortez, when it mattered most in the ALCS, he got hurt and, and couldn't finish that game. I, you know, that may not be his resume, but when it counted, he was hurt. He couldn't come through for him. Really? You know, it's Garrett Cole. You know, he's their, he's their horse. You know, we know what he can do. He also gives up a lot of home runs. That's also another thing Garrett Cole does. So, yeah, Brandon, when, when this came out, I mean, everybody was weighing in on how the Yankees have the best rotation now. And, and I'm also hearing that, you know, Montas was behind as well. It could be more like two months than just one month by the time he gets back. I do find it funny that for as much uh, crap as Garrett Cole takes from that fan base, he's the horse that answers the bell. It's it's and and they're so quick to want to see the best out of Cortez and Severino and these guys, and and yet they have Garrett Cole right there, and yeah, I mean the guy gives up a lot of home runs. He gave up one, to, you know, Chaz McCormick, but. I mean, that was, you gave up like two runs and, and, and that's it. And, and that's enough to win. I just, I don't, I find it funny that they are so quick with the hook um, just as a fan base, not even as an organization, but the fan base is just so quick to dump all over Garrett Cole when really it's Aaron judge who's failed in the big moments and they were just ready to pay him all the dollars. Granted, it's not their money, but they were just pay the man whatever he wants. That's an interesting contrast, I find. Bright lights, big city, right? Garrett Cole, nine years at $36 million per, and you know, he didn't set an American League record for, for anything of, of consequence. Judge has not really had his October glory yet either, at least uh, in Cole's case. As a Yankee, he hasn't had any either. Um, but when you only go perform once every five days in New York, if he threw a no hitter in the playoffs, they'd probably say, why didn't you throw a perfect game? Um, but when you're the number one guy and he's a top 10 starting pitcher, but when until the Scherzer and Verlander contracts, shorter contracts, but higher average annual value, when you're the, the richest guy in the sport, number one money, the number one stage, when the Yankees were one of your favorite teams, your two favorite teams growing up, um, you know, you're supposed to stand and deliver in those biggest moments. He hasn't been a flop by any means, but his ERA was about 340 last season. Uh, durability has been a signature of Garrett Cole's. Will that maintain over the six years still remaining on that contract? Yeah, he's 31, 32 years old now. Uh, because even if he pitches to an ERA of 320 when they're hoping for more like 220, 200 innings of 320. That's a that's a bulwark. That's a guy that you can count on, be keeping you in games regularly and minimizing toll on your bullpen and so forth. Um, sometimes you don't want to appreciate as as much what's right in front of in front of your face as, as you should. Yeah, I mean, and if we believe the the juice balls report that came out, maybe that takes Garrett Cole off the hook a little bit. I believe he gave up the most home runs in the American League last year. So for what you're paying him to give up that many home runs. We can make what we want of if he was throwing more juice baseballs than other guys, if that report's true. I don't know. Garrett Cole's a great pitcher, but in the big moments, I'll take Fromber. Indeed. Well, I mean, obviously the proof was in the pudding and last season. Um, 
I want to get to our next story here, which was we didn't get to talk about the Carlos, as it always happens on our show, is we talk about something and then literally within 24 hours of us uh, finishing the show, some news breaks that kind of updates whatever it is we were talking about. We haven't even talked about the Carlos Correa's, you know, where how that ended up. He's now with the Twins after uh, tentative deals with the uh, Giants and then Mets, ends up back with the Twins again. Um, Alex Rodriguez congratulated Carlos Correa on his new deal with the Tigers. Um he says, tip of the cap to the Twins um, and the uh, generational talents, Carlos Correa, a top five talent in the game. So, guys, um, this is pretty easy. Carlos, I don't, I'm not trying to be petty. Congrats to Carlos for getting his bag, for sure. And also, tip of the hat to A-Rod for giving him a shout-out. What do you guys think of uh, Carlos Correa being called a top five talent? Well, uh, look, when it comes to baseball insight, A-Rod's good on some things, some others not so good. He does have a history of lying, so maybe he was just making it up. <laughs> uh, anyone recall who Alex Rodriguez's agent was? Mm. Oh, Team Scott Boris and all that. Uh, Correa, of course, is phenomenally talented. Top five in the game. What's going to be our measuring stick? He's certainly not a five-tool player. He hasn't had a stolen base in three years. Um, one stolen base in three years. I'd also add uh, A-Rod trying to uh, ingratiate himself with the locals. Right? He's in the process of becoming one of the majority owners of the group buying the Minnesota Timberwolves. So this is not how Correa played it out, and he was great in a press conference because he just handles himself in public very well. But to, to go from the Mets at over $300 million, to the Minnesota Twins, which is in baseball Siberia. They've had multiple stretches of making regular playoff appearances, but they've also not made a playoff appearance in the last couple of years, and they have the longest postseason losing streak in the history of postseason losing streaks, 18 and counting. Um, so this was not you know, Correa's ideal fallback. Um, wish him well. Right, six years, two hundred million. He'll be able to pay both kids' college funds without without difficulty. Um, I'm gonna say egg on his face, but if you're Carlos Correa in an honest, quiet moment, don't you have to say, "Geez, would five one sixty have been that bad to to stay with the Astros?" And no one would already have put me in the rearview mirror in their Astro dreams with Jeremy Pena having won an ALCS MVP in a World Series MVP. I'm not gone and forgotten already but the blow was surely softened as much as possible in just one year's time. Yeah. And we talked about it in our sports map video the other day that the guaranteed money that the New York Mets were offering was actually a little bit less than the contract he got offered with the Astros. So that whole narrative we, we've talked about, about Jim Crane, not wanting to spend money. It's not true. Turns out he saw the market just about as good as anybody did. And, it, you know, we even heard a report, somebody with knowledge in the negotiations that, you know, a stint on the IL could have avoided that contract for Carlos if it involved that ankle. That's what was reported that we heard. So I can't blame him for looking elsewhere to get that deal done. But top five, top five talent in MLB. I mean, I could almost argue there's five Astros I'd rather have than Correa. You know, if I just go to Altuve and Jordan and Breckman and Tucker and, you know, Jose Abreu, I know he's getting older, but and Jeremy Pena, gold glove last year, all the MVPs that we talked about in the playoffs. So, 
yeah, I, I think A-Rod's shooting a little high there. But I guess with the word talent, that leaves it up to debate. What what would you argue that means as far as talent? So, And they, they caught a little bit of it, too, on social media. There was People came at A-Rod, <laughs> and Carlos got a little bit of that, uh, some stray bullets in the process. Charlie, I just want to throw in quickly yeah, on yeah. this. Uh, one component of talent is durability. Yeah. Right. If you're great in limited doses, well, you're not nearly as valuable as guys who are really good, but in full dosage. Carlos Correa has finished top 15 for American League MVP once. Right. Fifth is last year with the Astros. Now, at least he's trended up the last two years, pretty durable, but he's played more than 140 games once in his career. Um, if we were having a draft, just a straight draft of all major leaguers for 2023. And 2023 only. Carlos Correa is not going in the top five. Come on. No, but I, but what about what Josh said? Is is he even going in the top five in the Astros organization? Uh, Carlos Correa is a better player than Jeremy Pena. Jeremy Pena had an awesome postseason. Well, Carlos Correa was a heck of a postseason player here this year, and he was a vastly better offensive player than Pena was in 2022. Even if the metrics on Correa that the defense, we'll see if it was a one year. Or, or his career erosion on as he's now closer to or will be closer to 30 uh, end of next season and then to 25. Um, but Carlos Correa's best, right? If you're going to call him a generational player and look at everything he's accomplished, his best full season of baseball is not close to Altuve's best full seasons of baseball to Alex Bregman's best full seasons of baseball. Jordan, a bit different category, but he's so extremely great offensively. Um, that he finished second for MVP and figures to finish in the top five repeatedly. Correa has done that once and probably isn't a great bet for that going forward. So uh, I'll cut A-Rod some slack, I guess, on a hyperbole, a uh, fellow Boris guy shortstop who was willing to move to third to go to New York if, if that's what it took. Um, but everyone's uh, entitled to opinions, right? We all get one just like noses. I certainly agree. Availability, one of the more important abilities. Do you think this was a sobering offseason for him? Because, you know, we saw him bet on himself twice. Remember Boris going to the story of Boris going to the Astros and saying, well, the opening bid's 400. This is clearly not what he was holding out for when he was playing hardball with the Astros, right? When a consolation prize is 200 million on top of the 35 that he made in the initial first year with the Twins, um, that's not bad, but for career, for legacy, right? With the Astros, he was on course to have his number retired and be a statue outside of Minute Maid Park. That's gone. And how many times over the next six years, it's easier to get in with the further expanded uh, wild card field, but the Minnesota Twins are a small marketing franchise, right? They're just going to stay great because... That's who they are. They've had stretches where they've made the playoffs four times in five years, but then they have these droughts and they're in a weak division. Maybe the Twins win it in 2023, break through in the playoffs, and Carlos Correa becomes the, the stuff of legend in, in Minneapolis. If so, well, how about that? Um, but the Cleveland Indians right now are a better organization than the Minnesota Twins. Chicago White Sox are in flux. Tigers stink. Royals stink. So there is some opportunity for the Twins, but they're a grossly inferior bet over the next six years to the Astros, to the Mets. The Giants, 
that was about getting the max money to go to a divisionaire with the the Dodgers and the and the Padres. Um, but there is no way in hell when Carlos Correa hit the market, he was thinking, yeah, I'm going to spend the next seven years of my career as a Minnesota twin and be damn happy about it. Yeah. The, the Giants, at least you can say they've been good somewhat recently. And the contract was so long, you know, over 12 years, who knows what they could load around Carlos to make that a super competitive team, just because there are so many years involved. But, and it's a super rich market, a very yeah. rich franchise. When they're good, they mint money with that ballpark. Yes. So that made a little sense to me with Carl. At least you'd be playing against some top-notch teams, and eventually you would think they would surround you with the ability to, to win in that division. You know, Minnesota, you know, they, they may make the playoffs from year to year. That's nice, but I don't consider them to be a World Series contender. And to Carlos, yeah, it probably had to be a bit of an ego shot. Just it was so public, all these negotiations going wrong. But he didn't do anything wrong. You know, a medical didn't check out. That's that's not Carlos's fault. It's just an unfortunate circumstance. And at the end of the day, he made a ton of money and he's going back to Minnesota. We have reached uh, towards the end of the, the podcast here. This is when we ask our bottom line question. So if you're watching this live with us on YouTube, you can participate and give us your answer here. Before we read the question, I just want to say, please, if you're watching this, please hit like on the video. Uh, subscribe to the channel. If you prefer the audio podcast, we are on Apple, Google, Spotify, and most of the other big ones. Uh, our bottom line question this week, Charlie and Josh, uh, MLB.com put out their next 10 World Series predictions. And this is predictions uh, for the 2023 seasons through the 2032 seasons. Over the next 10 World Series, uh, I believe Will Leach is the one who wrote this for MLB.com. Will predicts that not once time in the next 10 years will the Astros make an appearance in the World Series, much less win it. They won't even appear after making four out of the last six. So guys, my question to you is on a scale of one to 10, one uh, being not so crazy and 10 is you need to be in the loony bin. Where do you rate uh, this projection by Will Leach? Well, all I know is if I'm an Ohioan, how stoked am I for 2032 when the Guardians and Reds will play in the Fall Classic according <laughs> to said projection. Um, you know, he threw a couple of small market teams in there just for the sake of doing so. It's a ridiculous exercise to project 10 years out. Uh, if over the next three seasons is a simple yes or no, do the Astros make another World Series? Uh, I would bet yes on that. So if you're going to give me an extra seven bonus years and say they go zero for the next 10, of course it could happen. Um, but uh, if Will Leach's projection there was on a, a piece of paper, I'd just wad it up and <laughs> look for a trash basket near me. Basket, not can. <laughs> Yeah, as long as it's not the sports almanac from Back to the Future, too. I'm not con not too concerned with this list here. I think I think the Astros are going to be just fine. And, man, I'll go to a 10. How do you not put them in the World Series one time out of the next 10 years? That's crazy to me. So, yeah, I I'm not buying that whatsoever. Yeah, I'm going to go – I'm going to go 10 just because it's I, – look, I, if – I, I told everybody – who uh, would listen to me last year, which is not a big list, but everyone who would listen last year, I said, I don't really see how the Astros make the world series again in 2022, because it's just so hard. It's so unprecedented to make back-to-back 
uh, World Series. And for them to make back-to-back to World Series and then to win it obviously showed me I know very little about baseball, which anybody who listens to this podcast can easily ascertain that. But the point of it is, is it, it, these are hard to project. And yes, I would say that maybe the, the fact that the Astros have been there as many times as they have, maybe that makes it statistically less likely that they return. But I just don't see how you say that considering looking at what the, the AL looks like right now. And I, I think, I think he has the blue Jays going there in 2023 to the series. I, we've talked about this on this channel a lot and on this show specifically a lot. I think a lot of the time this kind of content's put out there to get reactions, to get people talking and sharing, even if it's just to say, you guys are idiots. You don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I mean, there's plenty of times when we put content out there and we're, we're told idiots and we don't know what we're talking about, which may as well be true, but the point of this, I think, is to kind of stir some controversy and 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 probably to to kind of poke it to Astros fans a little bit who, you know, are, have been feeling themselves the past few seasons. And picking chalk all the time, I guess, can get boring. Of course, I believe he picked the Dodgers over the Blue Jays in in 2023. A meaningless exercise to project 10 years out, but where it matters, you want to put your money where your mouth is. Will Leach want to bet a year's salary that the Astros don't make another World Series appearance in the next 10 years? Probably not. And if you want to go bet on who's going to win the American League pennant right now, the Astros are the favorite. If you want to make a bet right now on who's going to win a 2023 World Series, the Astros are a co-favorite or a tri-favorite. So uh, Will Leach, like everyone else, can put out whatever he chooses to put out. Um I believe he uh, originally made his mark on, on Deadspin. So that um, right. make of it what you will. Just make sure you don't make much of it at all. Yeah. I don't. I, I don't think Vegas is going to be hiring him to uh, to run their lines. <laughs> no, I don't think so. And I think a lot of this is all the the backlash to to Jim Crane firing Click. You know, calling him the Jerry Jones of baseball. It, so maybe it's just kind of easy to point some bad PR at the Astros because. They hate Houston anyway, so why not? Well, if he named 17 different teams, that's 17 different major league markets giving a little run to Will Leach today, right? Yeah, good point. Well, let's get to some of our chats and see what they say. Nick says 10, no question. Uh, Andrew Ortiz says 10 million. So there you go. Not sure why I see the Yankees in there at all. It's a great point. Ryan says, simply because there are no Astros in there, it's a 10. Harley says, typical big market media leaving the Astros out and also the everlasting unforgiveness. Jeremy says, how hard is it to project the best team in baseball being in the World Series in the next 10 years? He's simple-minded. So there you go, guys. Charlie, Josh, appreciate you joining me this week. We want to thank all of the people who uh, have been chatting and contributing, who watch us live. We are live every Monday at 3 p.m., barring unforeseen circumstances, but we're live every Monday, 3 p.m. And then you can watch us on demand anytime on YouTube, on the Sports Map Houston YouTube channel. Please subscribe that if you haven't already. I want to thank our producer, Jack, uh, for contributing. I'm going to put him on screen. Ha <laughs> ha. Hi, Jack. He didn't realize I was going to do that. Uh, guys, thank you so much for joining this week's show. Again, uh, we will talk to you next week. Go Strohs.